0: If you take your Bible or your smart device or whatever you're using at home, I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and the the thrust of, of our comments today are going to be taken from verses 18 through 20, 18 through 20. But now that you've found it, I want you to back up to verse 15. I was going to read this Later on in my comments, but I thought I'm going to go ahead and do it now. And uh, the, the reason that I want to do this, read this uh, additional couple of verses, is because this sets the context. And we'll explain it. It's uh, a, a little bit confusing at, at the beginning, but we need to set the context and then Paul's incredible words that are going to help us to come to that last statement in the Apostles' Creed Amen, or I believe, I confirm. All that God is saying. Now, listen to the Word of God. Read it along with me if you would. And then after that, I invite you at home to say, to speak the Apostles' Creed that will follow this right after we read the Word of God together. Paul says these words, "...because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace." I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way back to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As surely as God is faithful Our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. But in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him... We utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, what I'd like you to do is to go ahead and you and your family, each one of you, please, say the Apostles' Creed out loud. From your heart, I believe. Say it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty." From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would help us to internalize Take in and respond to appropriately what we have heard in the reading of the Word and the stating of the Apostles' Creed. In Jesus' name, amen. I know that you must feel absolutely bombarded by the information overload that you've received this past week about the coronavirus. It really is, at least in my lifetime and most of the lifetimes of those who are listening today, unprecedented. Nothing like this has happened. Now, there may be some World War II era people that remember some of these things happening. And all kinds of questions are being asked by by Christians, by other people as well. Is this punishment from God? Is the devil running amok and seeking to devour? After all, his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, isn't it? It sure feels like that he is stealing our money, for one thing, with the stock market in freefall, that he's killing people and destroying our freedom and order, doesn't it? Is it a sign of the end of the time? Is it a signal of the collapse of the world, plunging us into chaos and anarchy. I I saw on the news the other night that gun stores are absolutely overwhelmed, that sales of guns are absolutely soaring through the roof. Jan and I were talking about this today and we were wondering, I wonder if the liquor stores are also seeing a brisk business. Doctors, nurses in New York City, for example, and this is a quote, they say, our system is doomed. So what do we do? Now, I'll tell you what a lot of people will do. They will fret and worry. John MacArthur said this, and I think it's a good quote, something for all of us to think about. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and the providence of God, and yet it is a sin that Christians commit perhaps more frequently than any other. So what do we do? What do those who know their God do? Daniel 11 gives us a little bit of insight in verse 32, the last part of that verse, and you have to remember, if you go back and study that verse, The context is the end times when all kinds of things are going on. What does it say that those who know their God will do? It says they will stand firm and they will take action. What kind of action? Well, the next verse tells us. Now, some of you may be familiar with this verse, but I dare say that you probably are not too familiar with the next part that follows this. Not only will those who know their God take a stand and take action, but the action that they'll take, look at this, and the wise among the people shall make many understand. Here's another question, understand what? And that is the theme of this message. Folks, the theme of this message is really nothing new. It's what we've been talking about since I've been here, since I came 15 years ago, over and over again in a variety of ways. I've been talking to you about the necessity of knowing the sovereignty of God. So, let's take a few minutes. There are two points. Let's know our God. Let's be wise a little bit more today, and then after we finish our study, we will cap it off with a hearty amen from Scripture. Let's look at verse 18. Now, remember, I said this a few moments ago. If you'll go back, the context of our passage 18 through 20, and that's the the focal point that we want to go to, but the context is in verses 15 through 17. Now, I said a minute ago, and you probably, as we were reading through this, thought to yourself, that's a little bit confusing. I'm not really sure of what's going on. So let me try to explain as best I can. This has to do with a personal situation between the Corinthians, the Christians at Corinth, and the Apostle Paul. You, You get the drift that he wanted to come see them, but his plans changed. Now, apparently, I'm reading this between the lines, uh, lines. apparently this upset them that he wasn't coming to see them when he said that he was, and so they accused the Apostle Paul of vacillating, in other words, of being wishy-washy. So Paul comes back and he explains that he was not vacillating at all. What he was trying to say to them, and this is a good lesson for all of us, sometimes in the providence of God, plans change. Now, watch what he does. According to Daniel chapter 11, he was a wise man. I think that the Apostle Paul saw this as a teaching opportunity for the Corinthian Corinthian Christians. So, he assures them not only that his word is solid, but then he gives it something that it is equal to. He said, my word is as solid as God is. He says, as surely as God is faithful. So, let's look at the first point. The first thing that I want you to see out of this passage of Scripture, and and, and folks, this is This is important for us in the context of what we are going through, that God is faithful because God is sovereign. In other words, God is in control. Not just this last week, not just in the future, in the days ahead, but at all times, everywhere, until the end of eternity. God is faithful because God is sovereign, He is in control. I can can almost hear, and this is a paraphrase, the Apostle Paul saying this, Corinthians, please remember that God is faithful. And if you don't believe the reality of this deep down, then every time your plans change, or things happen that you don't agree with, you're going to get bent out of shape. Not only at the immediate cause of the situation, but ultimately you're going to possibly get bent out of shape toward God. Arthur W. Pink, one of my favorite... Commentators, and some of you know I like to quote the Puritans, the old dead guys, somebody said. But he says this hey, you know what the best antidote for anxiety is? It's the frequent meditation on God's goodness, on God's power. In other words, His sovereignty and His sufficiency. Remember this as you are praying. Nothing is too big and nothing is too little to spread before and to cast at the Lord. Or as Paul says in just a couple of words, God surely is faithful. What does it mean that God is faithful? Well, I looked it up. You can look it up too. It means this that He is consistent, that He is dependable, that He never changes, that He will do what He says He will do. Let me just give you a couple of word pictures, a couple of illustrations to help you understand this. And they're limited, okay? But I'm saying this particularly, I think, for the children so that you can understand this concept of being faithful. Uh, trying to think of some things that would would help us. Dogs are faithful, aren't they? Dogs are loyal. They are faithful. Cats are, well, cats are cats. For you cats owners, I want to apologize for that. Old faithful. Have you ever heard of old faithful? It's a geyser in Yellowstone. I, I, I looked this up. I didn't know this before. But did you know that there are only about 1,000 geysers in the world? And that 500 of those geysers are in Yellowstone National Park? And among all of those geysers, all of those in the world, there is one that is consistent and dependable. You can, get this, almost set your watch by the eruptions of old faithful. Every 90 minutes, give or take, the geyser goes off. Old faithful is faithful, kind of, give or take. Let me ask you a personal question. Are you faithful? What would be your answer to that? Are you faithful? Well, I would imagine that a common answer would be this. I try. Uh, Let me share what a great theologian by the name of Yoda said about that. Do or do not do. There is no trying. See, God is 100% faithful. He's not 99% or give or take. He never changes. He doesn't have to. He doesn't try. He does. And you see, God's faithfulness, that's what Paul is pointing to right here, is of little value to us unless God is in control. And so the obvious question is of what? What is God in control of? What's the answer? You at home, answer that for me. What is God in control of? The answer is everything. Let me give you a couple of verses that you may want to write down the references and look at these because they they share with us the reality that God is sovereign in all things. For from Him... And through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, in the context of our great salvation, he says, In Him we have uh, obtained an inheritance, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, God, now watch this, who works All things according to the counsel of his will. That's what sovereignty means. And that's what the creed is all about. When it begins by saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and of earth, That statement and all of the statements following that affirm the sovereignty of God. Folks, God is always at the wheel. He has not for one second fallen asleep or taken His hand off of the wheel. He is dependable. He is trustworthy. Did you ever think of this? God is never surprised. He's never caught off guard. Think of this. Randomness what we think of as randomness, and we're experiencing a lot of that with what we hear about random molecules, and that we need to scrub down all of the surfaces, and I'm not saying that we don't need to. We need to follow the guidelines set for us by the CDC. We need to do all of that, but you must realize that there is nothing that is random to God. The Bible says it, about the most random thing that they could think of back then was uh, the the dice being cast, the lot being cast into the lap. That's random, isn't it? No, not according to the Bible, because while the lot is cast into the lap, every decision, every roll of the dice, as it were, is from the Lord. How many of you know what a dust moat is? Is you ever heard of a dust moat? Let me illustrate it. Maybe you've you've, you've had this experience. I, I'm thinking about some mornings when I'm sitting, having my quiet time. The windows are behind me, and I'm. Sitting there with my Bible and my cup of coffee and and the the sunlight just comes up and peaks over enough where a bright ray, a brilliant ray of sunshine just streams through the window and I look over at that, it's almost blinding, but do you know what I see in the sunlight? Yes, you're shaking your heads. I see about a, I, I can't even count them, a billion dust motes little, tiny, almost microscopic specks that are floating around. And my first thought is, I'm breathing that stuff. But then my second thought is that even though there seems to be total randomness to the movement, the little adjustments of the air and all of that, they are not random in the eyes of God. R.C. Sproul said it like this. I've quoted him before, and I love this, this this statement that he made. There are no maverick molecules if God is sovereign. There are no random dust motes, in other words. If there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have No guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. We're not talking about molecules and electrons. We're we're even talking about germs and viruses or even a cancer cell or anything else let me give you three things. Now, this is a sub point under our first point that I shared with you a minute ago, that God is sovereign. He is in control. I have have recommended this article to uh, so many people. John Reisinger is is a a former pastor, uh, died several years ago, and wrote an incredibly helpful uh, little pamphlet article entitled The Sovereignty of God in Providence, and he he has some things in there, and so I've summarized these, and I want to just quickly give you these points under the heading of God being sovereign, and folks, I I, I want you to get these. I don't know in in our evangelical world how much the, the nuances of these are being taught, but I believe these are absolutely important for you to know and for you to live your life by. Here's the first one. Okay? The first one is this, and it goes back a little bit to our first point, but but it expands it. God has a definite plan for the world. Second phrase is, God is always in control of all things. The third phrase growing out of that, He's constantly at work in accomplishing His plans. God has a definite plan And a purpose for the world. He's always in control of all things. And he's constantly at work in accomplishing his plans. Let me show you a verse that goes with that. All right? Now, again, if you didn't get that, you can come back and review. Email me. I'll send you the PowerPoint if you want that particular point. Okay? Listen to what Isaiah 46 says, the prophet. And Isaiah is just chocked full of all kinds of wonderful statements about God's sovereignty. Listen to this. I am God. There is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. How do you do that unless you've got a plan and a purpose and you're in control? Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Please get this down, folks. Someone or something has to be in control. I hope you agree with that. So what are your choices? Someone or something has to be in control. So what are your choices? Well, you could say, it's me. I'm in control of my life. Well, i got to ask you after this last week, how's that working for you? If you can't even buy toilet paper, I don't see much help for you in being in control. Okay, let's say someone else. Is the devil in control? You know, if the devil was absolutely in control, since he is a murderer and a liar from the beginning, he's come only to steal and kill and destroy, then he would have destroyed us all long, long ago. How about this? Sometimes people say it's not an entity, it's not you. Now, see, I haven't mentioned God yet because we're talking about him being in control. But if it's not you or if it's not the devil, then it could be just an impersonal thing called chaos. Some people subscribe to a chaos theory. Well, I would say if that is what is in control, meaning no control, then we're all in big trouble plus something else There is no purpose to all of it. So God really does have a definite plan and a purpose for the world. He's always in control of all things. He's constantly at work. He's at work at this very moment in accomplishing His plans. Second sub-point of the main point that I made a minute ago. God is in control, okay? He's always working. But let's go a little bit deeper. God uses now watch this because this is going to be a challenge I I think to many people that are listening to this message God uses and controls everything and everyone now let me stop here that makes sense if you really believe that God is in control of everything this is just a statement but many times we don't really put this in even the devil in working out his plans Let me give you two verses that, and there are many more. This is the whole theme of Scripture, but but one verse is just simply out of the life of Job. And and I'm so glad that Job is in the Bible because it shows us the, the working of God in the most horrible, devastating of circumstances. And this shows that God is in control. Satan's not in control. The Lord said to Satan, now he's already... Put it out there, have you considered my servant Job? He says to Satan, behold, he, Job, is in your hand, only spare his life. Now see, he's he's saying, you you, you can do the things that you want to do, but I don't want you to kill him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job. But he did not do it without the permission of God. Second verse, and I've used this so many times. I would say that this, this, these two verses tell us about the single most sinful act in all of human history. And look at how the early apostles viewed this, that God uses and controls everything and everyone, evil people included, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Listen. God can start and stop what He wants when He wants to. And growing out of that, I would say, be very careful. If you really believe that God is at work in the midst of every situation that has ever occurred in the existence of this redemptive history, then be very careful with statements like this. Why doesn't God just stop the coronavirus? You know the answer to that? Because he has... A plan. Now, listen to me very carefully. He will mitigate and He will wipe out the virus when He has accomplished His purpose for the virus. I don't know when that is, but God does. And let me just show you some illustrations from Scripture and and, and talk about how that God's purposes are always bigger than what we can see right in front of us. Think about Job. What What if God had stepped in and had stopped the suffering of Job before he really spent that time in the most devastating circumstances that anybody could ever experience? then we wouldn't have the book of Job as an encouragement for us during trying times. We wouldn't have incredible verses like Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. What would have happened if God had stepped in? Remember the question, why doesn't God just step in and stop this? What if if God had stepped in and stopped Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from being thrown into the fire. Let's say that the king just changed his mind. Didn't throw into the fire. We would never have that incredible story that the king looked and saw in the midst of the fire someone walking with those three men and he looked like the son of God. We wouldn't have the encouragement that God... His Son will walk with us through the fire. What about Stephen? What if the people had changed their minds and not stoned him to death? Would we have had the Apostle Paul who was there at the stoning of Stephen? What about Jesus? If the Father had stopped short, no redemption. Remember, His purposes are bigger. And I'm not talking about just this current thing that we're going through. I'm talking about for you. And even some of the things that you're going through not related to the pandemic. Let's look at a third thing underneath the, the, the overall heading of the, 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 the first point, and, and this is important too. We're not going to spend a lot of time with it, but it is important. Just get the gist. It's very wordy. Get the gist of it. Although sickness and afflictions are part of God's purposes. We just talked about that, didn't we? Okay and they're under his sovereign control, it does not mean that all sickness and affliction are necessarily chastisement from God. I'm going to show you a verse in just a minute. We're going to go back to the book of Job. But a lot of people have asked this question, what's going on? Why has this come upon us? Is this God's judgment? Is it his chastisement? We simply do not know. Job didn't know, and what came upon him was not for his rebuke or not for his chastisement. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. He's blameless, he's upright, fears God, turns away from evil. What came upon Job was not a chastisement, and not all that comes upon us is necessarily a chastisement. I think an appropriate prayer would be this. God, use this and teach me. Teach my family. Teach our church family. Teach Christians in America and throughout the world the things we need to learn. What is it that you will learn from this pandemic? Especially what we need to learn is to trust Him and to glorify Him in all of this. Let's go to the second point. Second point is simply this. We shout amen. That's what Paul is saying. That that we are the ones saying amen. And why? We're saying it because that in Jesus Christ, get this, all of God's promises are yes. He's just used the argument that, that we didn't vacillate We didn't say yes, yes, and no, no. And in God, there is no vacillation. There is no being wishy-washy. His yes is yes, and his yes in terms of all of his promises are found in Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are over 14,000 promises in the Bible? And do you know that ultimately what they all have to do with They have to do with God's plan for the redemption of the world. Sometimes we we appropriate those promises for ourselves selfishly, but they're always for God's plan of redemption for the world. And that's why the Apostle Paul says that ultimately God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. All of them, and I like this, If you look back at at 2 Corinthians in this passage, it says that all of God's promises, that's plural, all 14,000 plus of them, find their yes in Him. Singular. In one man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. And in the gospel promise. Christ crucified for our sins, buried, raised on the third day according to the Scripture. And God the Father Almighty, is completing His purpose of redemption, His highest yes in us through His Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bible. you probably still got it there or your smart device. I want you to look up Romans chapter 8. We're going to read this together. I want you to just follow along as I read this because this is a, an incredible passage of Scripture. We're going to to first talk about the redemption of creation, that creation is groaning right now, and then we're going to talk about God's plan in our ultimate redemption. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 8, reading with verse 18. Okay, 18 through 21, then we'll stop and make a comment, then we'll pick up with verse 28 and read through the end of the chapter. Now follow along on this. Here's what Paul is saying. Verse 18, Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God that is a future event now listen to this for the creation was subject to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, stop right there and let me make an observation. I believe that in God's original creation that there were germs, germs, And there were viruses. They were a part of the created order, just as wolves were, and lions, and venomous snakes. They were at that time, along with all of those other creatures, they didn't come along after the fall. They were a part, get this, of God's good creation. But something happened. When Adam and Eve sinned, not only did they fall under the curse of God and were cast out, creation fell. And Wolves became predators. So did lions and bears. Venomous snakes became killers. They were corrupted by the fall. Folks, what we see today and we call it the natural order this is not and what we're seeing with the mutation the, the germs and the viruses around us that is not the natural order for which they were created and all of creation is groaning Can you, could you hear it this last week? the groaning of creation looking for that day let me give you a picture of that day That is yet to come. It's found again in Isaiah. I told you a minute ago that Isaiah has such wonderful verses about the sovereignty of God. And and here is an event yet future. This is in the future, new heavens and new earth. And I love this. What hope this is. The wolf. Now now we this is probably one of the most misquoted verses uh, among Christians that I've seen not the lion laying down with the lamb. It says the wolf, a natural predator, will dwell with the lamb, the natural prey, or the unnatural, I should say, in this world right now, this fallen world. The leopard, in that day, when the natural order is restored, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. A little child will lead them who would dream of sending a two-year-old to lead those kinds of beasts? A child would be either eaten or trampled. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. All of those carnivores are going to become vegetarians. Look at this. I, I just love this. I was reading this this afternoon and I thought, Oh, Lord, come quickly. Maranatha, Come quickly. Do this, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child, that's a babe, that's a babe, folks, shall put his hand on the adder's den. Look at this. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain because that is the natural order of things and that time is coming but it is not yet now let's go back to the book of romans okay and let's finish this verses uh we'll start with 28 i've got 29 up there 29 and 30 but we're just going to go through the end of the the chapter okay and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's His purpose for us, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who or what can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give him, give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I am convinced that neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope this brings you encouragement. Jesus Christ is God's yes to all of His promises concerning the gospel of redemption for you and for me and for all of creation. And that is why you and I, according to the Apostle Paul, say a hearty amen to God's yes in Jesus Christ. You know, the world tells us no a lot, doesn't it? But in Jesus Christ is God's yes. And we say amen to that for the purposes of His glory. Now let me, as we end this time together today, do two things. First of all, I want to give an invitation because in a few moments we're going to say the Apostles' Creed again with the final amen after the phrases as we walk through this. And once again, I want you to speak this out loud in your home with your family. And do it loudly. Do it confidently. But there are some people who will not be able to say, I believe in God the Father Almighty the creator of heaven and earth, because you have not yet repented of your sins and turned by faith to Jesus Christ. And today the Bible says, if you hear his voice is the day of salvation. What is your hope? In the midst of these circumstances that are surrounding us, what is your hope for the future? Will you be with us, those of us, who have accepted the yes of God in Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection for sinners like you and me, I encourage you to do that right now. And then I encourage you to say with me the words of the Apostles' Creed, and after every phrase, I want you to say, Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, amen. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, amen. I believe He descended to the dead. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Amen. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in the Holy Christian Church and in the communion of the saints. Amen. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Amen. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen.